Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. My name's Ryan. If you don't know who I am, the lead pastor, and I want to welcome everyone watching online with us as well. Welcome to Radiant Life. Uh, we are in week one of a brand new off-ramp series, if you will, called Reaching Out, Go and Make Disciples, because we're journeying through the book of Acts together that we've titled Awaken, and we take these off-ramps. But before we jump in, I want to introduce you to someone this someone is a gentleman that is spirit-filled, he's anointed, and uh, you didn't even realize he's a part of Radiant Life. Uh, you didn't realize this because you never see him. Uh, he doesn't even live here. He lives across the giant pond in England, but he's a part of us. He actually works for us, and you didn't even know that. But from England, he's here this morning. I want to welcome Paul Spencer to the stage. Can we give Paul Spencer? Paul has graciously joined us for two weeks. Um, and what he does is he's this gifted sound engineer. And most of you don't even realize this. And those that are in the camera right now, this is really for you in this moment. Um, the sound that we all hear on Sunday morning is not the sound that gets broadcast through those lenses. It takes different engineering. We'll go with that. Okay. Uh, it takes a different broadcast. It takes a different mix. So in that back room right now, there are people mixing that's different from that board in here just to go online for you guys online. And Paul does that twice a month for us, all the way from England, five hours difference. Uh, he goes to his church, does his thing there, the sound and everything, and then hops on for us. And how cool is this? Mixes from England. Like, how cool is that? So this is Paul Spencer. You're going to think he's so much smarter than me because he's got that British accent and you all will pay attention, right? And so, uh, Paul, give us a quick snapshot. You and Radiant Life, how did that ever come together? Uh, your worship pastor, JB, and I were, um, we're both in a uh, Facebook kind of support group for uh, church media techs. And um, in fact, there's 50,000 of us in this group. And um, early on in lockdown, JB was reaching out, asking some questions about some of the issues to do with live streaming, broadcast audio. And I hopped on and started engaging with him. And, um, and we ended up taking our chat off the group because it was getting so intense and so involved for everybody else getting notifications about it. And... I think we both agree it was probably our longest phone call ever that we've engaged in at six hours we chatted one day that was part of the smoothing out some of the technical stuff to do with how you do all the broadcast audio. Um, and it kind of grew from there, really, and, and it ended up, he was like, well, since you can obviously operate all this remotely, as he saw what I was doing, um, I was offered the chance to get involved and help some of your guys and to, um, to join the team to do that with, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, if, if you think two years ago when we went to lockdown, I mean, what we started live streaming was a single iPhone, like right there. And that was it. And that was picking up our audio and everything to where we are now. And Paul was a huge, huge part of it. And now he's here, you know, hanging out with the team and kind of fixing even this room to get it 
because all your work so far has been out for the online broadcast stuff. Yeah, that's right. And um, primarily while I'm here, I'm uh, getting involved with your amazing new sound system, which you have installed, and your great sound team and your desk uh, to help with some of the similar techie things that we did with broadcast to incorporate some of those in the room. Yeah, how cool is that? Now, yeah, yeah. Um, so Paul goes to a church called Chroma. Uh, it's like Chrome, but with an A instead of an E at the end. And uh, very similar in size-wise. We maybe just be a touch bigger, but you guys, your services. Now, we meet long. 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 Like, tell them. So we may do kind of like you just did a little set of worship and praise time together. That could maybe be an hour at our place. And then 40, 40 minutes, 45 minutes of uh, what you're about to do. And then some time to respond together as we uh, see what kind of impact our day. So let's get off stage, bring the worship team back, and let's do it. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) Uh, That's what I said. A little different pace in America. Let's be honest. We're like sometimes looking at the watch. When are we going to get out? An hour of worship to begin the service, just like, hey, we're here as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're worshiping together. And that's really cool what you guys do. Um, Your perspective of Radiant Life for the last several, several, several months has come through that lens right there. It has, yeah. Um, and what I've seen um, are people who are gathered together because we have one, one call to celebrate our, save, uh, our Savior and what he's done for us and, and also to move in, um, in ways that, um, that affect our week as well. And you've had some great teaching about all of this. And I see a great move of uh, change that's been happening over recent months. And I want to commend you for the way you've responded to that as you've reached out to each other to accept and grow in your um, acceptance of uh, the Holy Spirit being in your lives. And, and that's been evident to me watching and joining from, is it four or 5,000 miles away? Uh, and I see cool. from that camera at the back there, there's a, little, there's a little camera that is just for me. I don't get to see all your posh broadcast cameras when we're uh, setting up. And that's what I see. And I see the backs of heads and, um, <laughs> and hands raised and obviously hearts changed and lives changed over the, uh, the months. Well, over a year I've been working with you now, I think. So, yeah, commend you and keep doing what that is and keep pressing in. Can we give Paul a big hand? Thank you, Paul. Thank you. You know, one of the things I, I think I told Paul this, or our team, is I, I fear that we're going to take the move of God for granted. And I never want to get into that posture. And so it's really cool to hear someone across the pond that just has been watching online through that lens, never experienced in the room, to say, I've seen the way God's moving even through the camera lens. And that's awesome, amen? Well, hey, yes, this morning we're gonna jump into our new teaching series. It's a three-weeker leading into Easter on purpose. I just think God works in cool ways. And, um, and I'll explain this, but uh, if you got your Bible, tablet, or phone, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 35 and through 38. That's our hub this morning. And I've titled this message, How to Bless. How to Bless. And um, 
Matthew, if you turn about two-thirds of your way through your Bible, you're going to find the New Testament. You're going to find four guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those guys write about the life of Jesus. It's known as the Gospels, the life of Jesus Christ. Matthew, for instance, he was a tax collector. Everyone hated this guy because he stole more of your money or took more of your money. If you were getting taxed 30%, he would tax you 50% because that extra 20 would go in his pocket type things. And so the Jewish people at the time of Jesus don't like tax collectors. But Matthew was a tax collector and Jesus said, come follow me. And he left that entire business to come and follow after Jesus Christ. And his life got radically changed. And we have his letter, Matthew, and he writes about what Jesus is saying in his life. And what we've done so far is we've just taken these off-ramps here and there throughout the book of Acts. And what we've uh, looked at last week in our Awaken Acts series was this idea that Jesus gave when he was here for 40 days before he ascended back to heaven, Jesus gave his apostles, his disciples, a mission to make disciples and be his witness. Make disciples disciples and be his witness. And this is your and I's mission as well. We are a continuation of the book of Acts. God is not done yet. God will be done when Jesus Christ comes again. He's not done. And we are on mission to make disciples and be witnesses. And Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit comes down on the people in the upper room, there's about 120, and a guy by the name of Peter, filled with the Spirit, has holy boldness, addresses the crowd because they're amazed and perplexed. He addresses the crowd and says, hey, you guys crucified Jesus, but God made him Lord and Savior. And by the way, Jesus is not dead. The grave could not hold him. God raised him up from the dead and Jesus is alive. And last week we looked at the people's response to that. It says, upon hearing that, they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit had convicted them and awakened them to say, hey, hey, there's more. There's more. There's truth. And what the people do? They said, what do we do now, Peter? And Peter unpacks three things. He says, repent and be baptized. Repent and walk in obedience. And the Spirit's going to fill you. And you're going to need the Spirit to live out this life. You're going to need the Spirit to accomplish the mission. Make disciples. Be his witness. And then at the end, what we looked at last week in Acts chapter 2, then we'll jump into Matthew, says this. And those who accepted his message were baptized. They were what? What? And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Three, can you, can you even imagine that? 3,000 people get saved that day. Whew. Church growth right here. You cannot read the book of Acts and say, I don't like church growth. You can't. It's all over. Guess the next time they add number. There's going to be like 5,000. Like the church is moving. But why is the church moving now? Because Jesus says, Wait. Wait to the gift, the promised gift the Father has, the Spirit, and he will help you and enable you to do everything you're called to do. But I want to baptize. They're baptized. And, um, you know, in three Sundays from now is Easter. Did you guys know that? Three of you. Okay. Um, (laughs) But now I've informed all of you, okay? So it's in three weeks. 
three weeks. And what we're going to do is we're going to follow in baptism. We're having Easter baptism on Easter Sunday, April 17th. Now, please remember, we're doing baptism on two of our four services. We're having baptism at the 8 o'clock and the 1130. 8 and 1130. If you haven't been baptized, you ought to get baptized. I talked last week, baptism is the first step of obedience in our faith. When we've received salvation, baptism is that first step. It's that first step. And so I want us to sign up. You can click, the, there's a QR code if you know how to work that. Take your phone, take your tablet. I think you just click the camera and you do something. You'll figure it out, I promise. And you can get online and sign up for Easter baptism. We're excited about that. Real quick too, everyone got a white ping pong ball? Um, if not, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to run outside, right outside these doors. There are buckets if you need. You're going to need one today. You're going to need one today. Take 30 seconds. If, and while it's really awkward in this moment, turn your neighbor, just talk to someone for 30 seconds, okay? Then we're going to jump into Matthew. A lot of people are leaving right now. Just come back. That's all I ask. Just come back into this room. If you're at home watching... Uh, maybe next time you come in, we'll have these available for you watching at home. So we'll have them available. So grab a, everyone's going to need one. You will not be throwing these at any point. I want to know, why are you booing? And second, who do you want to throw them at? So hold on to these. I've had enough people out, like, what are we doing? What are we doing? You got to wait till the end. Wait till the end. Hold on to them. Okay, that's all I want you to do. All right, let's put them away. Let's jump into Matthew. Now remember, what just happened in the book of Acts for us is we're journeying through Awaken. 3,000 people get saved and they get baptized. And I've heard a lot after we're talking about that. Hey, remember, we're talking about how do we reach lost people? And part of that is like, yes, we're praying for an empowerment of the spirit. We're praying for holy boldness as well. And some of us are like, and I've heard throughout the several weeks, it's like, but how do I do it? Like, how do I actually bring up Jesus? What does that look like? And that's what this series is going to be about. How do we actually live out our faith in a loving, gentle way that makes sense today um, to get there? And that's what this series is going to unpack for us. You know, I, I want to say this before we jump in. I often tell people, don't push people, press into people. Don't push people, but press into people. Because eternity matters. Oftentimes when people reject the church or Jesus, it's because we're pushy. And so what we want to do is a healthy balance of how do we, but their, their eternity matters, so we want to press in. But we don't just want to be like, come on, wake up, okay? So let's jump into Matthew and let's see what Matthew, what does Jesus say about this whole thing? Matthew chapter 9 verse 35 reads this way. Then Jesus went through all the towns and villages Watch the three things Jesus is doing. Teaching in their synagogues, which was their Jewish um, churches, if you will. He's teaching there. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He's proclaiming and heralding that, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Come on, repent. You gotta change direction and run back to God. And he's healing every disease and sickness. Jesus has a teaching ministry, and he's heralding the kingdom, and he has a healing ministry. The three things that Jesus is doing when he begins his ministry. 
And then he continues to talk to his disciples and says, when he saw the crowds, he had, what's that one word? Compassion on them. This word compassion, this was originally written in the original language of Greek. This term compassion means it's the highest form of emotional pity one can have. It actually means to be moved deep within your bowels. That's how much compassion he had. Why? What did Jesus see? They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he's moved by that. So he's going to turn around to everyone and he's going to turn and say, and he said to his disciples after he's got this compassion, the harvest is what, friends? (laughs) But an issue. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He's looking out and using a, a farming agriculture illustration. He sees the compassion. He sees that they're helpless. He sees that they do not know him. They do not know God. They don't know the creator. And he says, listen, the harvest is plentiful. There are a lot of lost and helpless people. But what's the issue? We don't have enough workers. Please hear this. The primary problem we face is us. And within the church, what we want to do is we want to blame culture and blame the loss that are outside these four walls. Says, ah, they just don't want it. I, they're too difficult. No, 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 no. What Jesus say? The harvest is plentiful. It's out there. But the workers are few. If we're going to harvest God's field, If we're going to reap a beautiful harvest, reapers must begin to reap it. We got to get into the game that Jesus Christ called us into. There are people hurting and broken and far from God. And if Jesus Christ came back right now, there are people in your life that will spend all eternity in hell. Far from God. And we got to get into the game, friends. We got to get into the game. We got to reach the lost, hurting world for Jesus Christ. Amen? Here's why we have their only message, and it's the hope of Jesus Christ. We have it. You're God's plan A. There is no plan B. He wants to use you. Turn to your neighbor and say, He wants to use you. Turn to your other neighbor and say, You're special. He wants to use you too. So this morning, I want to have just three quick conversations with you, how we're going to unpack this. It's just three conversations. Conversation number one, I want to give us the most recent statistics on um, the lost world in America, the lost people, okay? So statistically, where are they? Number two, I want to have a conversation of three core convictions you and I must have if we're going to go out into the harvest and see lost people come to know Jesus. And then finally... Conversation number three, I'm going to give us uh, an, an illust- or a, a method in order to begin of how do we reach lost people? How do we actually do it? And then the next two weeks, we'll also unpack that method here. But let's enter into conversation number one. What is the receptivity of the American unchurched people right now? 
Now, I'm going to give you three definitions. So any time over the next three weeks you hear these words from this stage, we all are on the same page knowing exactly what we are talking about. So here's quick definitions. Number one, when we say lost, what we mean is spiritually unresolved people. They are spiritually unresolved. No relationship with Jesus Christ. They are spiritually lost. Does that make sense? Okay, we've got two options. You're lost or you are found, okay? Found means I'm spiritually resolved with Jesus Christ. I have a relationship. Lost means spiritually unresolved. Number two, a word you're gonna hear from the stage is unchurched. Here's what unchurched means. No contact with the church. Like zero contact. Maybe they've never even stepped foot in a, in a building of a church building. Maybe they've got just nothing. They're just unchurched people. They don't want anything to do. You'll hear this. I don't want anything to do with this church thing, right? Those are the unchurched. And then number three, if you hear the word de-churched, and many of you are going to know this, these are people once involved in a church that once maybe perhaps served in a church with you, that once was in a life group with you and doesn't go to church anymore. They're not unchurched because they've had involvement before within church. Does that make sense? Especially during COVID, I think we have a lot of de-churched people now, right? We got comfortable at home. We got used to not going to church. And I would say the amount of de-churched is on the rise because of what the last two years did to us. They once were involved, whether it's fear or true medical reasons why they're still at home or just it got easy because it did. It got easy just to watch at home. They're now de-churched. They're not a part of the local church right here in engaging in community. So those are the three. Now, Lifeway Research and the Billy Graham Center Institute of Wheaton College got together right before COVID and they did a study on the unchurched. And they asked these questions and here are the stats. I wanna show you where America is today. Here are the top three reasons why people don't attend church. Look at the very first reason. 35% of the survey says they lost trust. That's within the church as a whole or with Christians. I just lost trust with them. The second reason, 30% responded in the survey said, I just lost interest. He was like, hmm, just kind of boring. It's like, what is it for me? I just, I just lost interest in it. And then lastly, the third reason was circumstances changed. Maybe they moved and upon the move, they didn't do the church shopping thing, whatever. They lost a job and they feel bad and just don't want to engage. Circumstances have changed. These are the top three reasons why Americans today do not attend church. Now, I want you to hold on to this number one reason, lost trust. So file it in the back of the mental Rolodex. For the younger people, a Rolodex is like this thing, a spinner reel with a lot of cards. Okay, here's some more stats. Remember, and they say these numbers are even greater now because of what COVID did to us in America. But here's this, get this. 71% of unchurched people have never had a Christian share with them how to become a Christian. Wow. 71% of the unchurched said, no one's ever told me how to become a Christian. Let me put this, that's seven out of 10. 
says, I don't even know where to begin a relationship with Jesus if I wanted one. Remember what Jesus says. The harvest is plentiful, but what, friends? The workers are few. These are the most recent stats in America. Seven out of 10 unchurched says, I don't know how to become a Christian. Now, here's another stat. Now, that's the scary stat. That's not a good stat, right? We have seven out of 10 unchurched Americans don't know how to become a Christian. This is, these are good stats. 79% of unchurched people are fine with us talking about our faith if we value it. Isn't that interesting? So seven out of 10 people of unchurched people in America said, I don't know how to become a Christian, yet eight out of 10 people unchurched are saying, if you value your faith, I'm okay with you talking to me about it. Eight out of 10. So what does that mean? The receptivity of our faith with unchurched people is higher than we think. The narrative out in our world right now is that America is a post-Christian nation, which is true. It was in Europe forever, and Europe's leaders, spiritual leaders, kept telling America, they're like, hey, America, you're almost there, because we've seen all the signs, and we're there, and finally it's here. In other words, a post-Christian nation says, we don't need the church or Jesus or your faith. But within the unchurched, eight out of 10 says, if you value your faith, I'm open ears to hear what you have to say. That's good news. Remember what Jesus said. The harvest is plentiful, but what friends? The workers are few. Here's another good stat. I think this is promising. 51% of unchurched people would respond positively to an invitation to church from a friend. Oh, that's, that's a good stat. It goes up by four points to 55% if they're invited from a family member to attend church. So think of the receptivity of the unchurched in America. That means one out of two people would come to church if you just invite them. Do you know the heart of your pastor when, they put in, when we put invite cards on these chairs? The unchurched is saying, I'm willing to come if you just invite. But the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You say, Pastor Ryan, what are some things that absolutely break your heart within the church? Seeing invite cards left on these chairs. I almost don't want to come in on those moments where we have invite cards on the chairs because I don't want to see the leftovers because it, it boils me a little bit. To sit there and go, what? Look at all Jesus' words. It's plentiful out there, friends. But we have an issue within. It's us. It's us. It's us. So next week, guess what you're going to get in your chairs? <laughs> Easter invite cards, right? Here's what I love about the invite cards. In introverts, remember, we, we talked, I, I'm an introvert. It is probably one of the most unscary, I don't know if that's a word, least scary way to invite someone. It's just like, hey, I just want to invite you to church and I'm willing to sit with you. Just think about it. That's all it has to be. Extroverts, you, you're going around picking up all the leftovers excited, you know, like <laughs> I, I don't have enough to give out to people, right? But it's there. 
outside these walls, it's plentiful, but the workers are few. That's conversation number one. Number one, receptivity on unchurched people in America is higher than we think. That's good news. Here's conversation number two, the three core convictions you and I are gonna have to have if we're gonna do this mission together. If we're gonna go and be witnesses, go make disciples, we need this mission. Number one is this. People are lost without Jesus Christ. That was an amen. (laughs) That is where we are. People are lost without Jesus Christ. Even Romans chapter three, verse 23 says this, for all, for what friends? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has. Verse, uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse one says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. You are spiritually dead without Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ. Number one, people are lost without Jesus. We must have that core conviction. Here's core conviction number two. That salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. Um, Him and him alone. Not all religions lead to God. There is one and his name is Jesus Christ that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess he is Lord. That is your way into relationship with your heavenly father. This is why people in our culture today are more open about talking about God than they are Jesus. And that's tricky. Well, I'm spiritual. No, I don't, I'm not asking if you're spiritual. What I want to know is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because he is the only way. I just kind of, you know, like, I, there's this, this God in nature. Uh, you're right. God is everywhere. The, nature is his backdrop to the beautiful art, artistry that he brings to creation. But do you know Jesus? Because at the end of the day, you will never be good enough. That's why we need Jesus Christ. Uh, John says this, this is what Jesus says, and this is what made people really upset with Jesus. Jesus answered them, and this is what he says, I am the way. There is no other way, it's me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says this, no one comes to the Father except through me. If they don't nail their salvation with Jesus Christ, They cannot get into heaven. They do not have a relationship with their father outside of Jesus Christ. He is everything. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us because he loves you and he died for you to be in right relationship with your heavenly father. A little further, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the gift. Core conviction number two, salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. Here's the last of conversation number two. Is heaven and hell are realities. Heaven and hell are realities. I don't come to be your pastor, to be a popular pastor, to get, pe- get people to like me. I come to preach Jesus Christ. And sometimes that's countercultural, and I'm fine with that. Because I don't get to choose truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. And heaven and hell are realities. The issue is we live for the moment, not for eternity. 
We live for the now. What pleasures me? What desires do I have? What will do I have? Instead of thinking all for eternity, this is but a vapor. And we will have all eternity on the other side of this life. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46 says this, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. There are two options when you and I take our last and final breath. It's heaven or it's hell. Yes. (laughs) Those are the two options. And they're realities. And right now, I have family members that if Jesus came back right now, would spend their eternity apart from him in hell. Apart from him. We must have these three core convictions if we're gonna change because Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That brings us to our, our third and final conversation. A lot of us were like, okay, Ryan, like we're not a pastor, we don't have a degree. And you know why people actually don't share their faith at all? I think some of the reasons are it's just we feel inadequate. And number two, we're fearful that if they ask us a question, we don't know how to answer. Can I just relieve that pressure? I carried that long for, as a, being a pastor, and I finally said, you know what? I, I don't know at all. And have that freedom to let go and say, hey, I don't know. That's a great question. I'll get back with you. And then you go home and do some research. You go home and ask godly men and women in your life, hey, this guy, this person asked me this. What do you guys think? And then get back to them. Be okay. Be okay. So I want to teach you a quick method that over the next two weeks after this week, we're going to unpack. So it's five words. It's called bless. Here it is. Bless. It's an acronym. And what we're going to do is I'm going to talk three things here, but the next week you're going to learn the L and the E, and then the week before Easter, you're going to learn the S and the S. But here's what the acronym stands for. It's BLESS. It's a simple method. Number one, B, begin in prayer. L, listen with care. E, eat together. S, serve in love. Then the final S is share your story. And again, we will unpack this throughout the next following weeks. Today, we'll focus here. Next week, listen with care, eat together. The following week, serve in love and share your story. Now, here's what's so important about this. Lean in for a moment. The 60s and 70s hijacked this word, evangelism. Here's what happened. Evangelism meant, even if you went to college and you took evangelism course, you know what you had to do? You had to go and knock on doors. And if they answered, you were to ask the question, if your life ended today, where would you spend all eternity? If you tried doing that today, you will get that door slammed in your face probably 99% of the time. People don't even answer doors now. You look out your window, you're like, oh no, turn off all the lights, we're not home, right? Like that's, welcome to America, that's how we are right now. You know, everything went from the front porch of community to the back porch where I don't want anyone looking at me, right? That's just what happened. And, and also with the term evangelism, we thank that evangelism, which is just the good news of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, his story, what he does for us. Um, a lot of that is also negated by some of the things that happen of like, oh, I got to stand on the street corner and shout and things like that. No, uh, I don't know how responsive people are to that. I was in San Diego with the um, 
with my family, the Kinseys are with us, and there was someone just shouting, and I'm sitting, and we're on the beach, and we're walking, and I'm like, yeah, what you're shouting is really, is true. It's true. But I don't know how effective it is in this moment. Why? What's the number one people, number one reason why they're not attending church? They lost trust. What's happened with evangelism in, in our culture today, it's become relational. It's now known as relational evangelism. They're realizing we must build trust back with people. We must be the hands and feet of Jesus to people. They want to see God in action. Your plan A. So let me give us three prayer prompts for us. As we are going to reach, we, it must begin in prayer. It must begin in prayer. Here are three things for you and I to begin in prayer with. Number one is this, that your heart be open to God and the leading of Holy Spirit. Notice what the very first prayer is. It's God changed me. Am I open to you, God? Am I open to where Holy Spirit is leading me? I wanna know, God, where you are moving and help me to be open in your leading to go help you there. Here's what, 2 Corinthians, I love this verse. This verse is great. And he has committed to us the message of, what's this one word? Reconciliation. To means to be reconciled back into right relationship with our heavenly father. That he has given us that message to give to others. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You're like a secret agent for God. Not secret, because we should be living out our faith. You're like that agent for God. As though God was making an appeal through us. You are his plan. So our first prayer posture is, God, may I be open to you and the leading of the Spirit so I can be that ambassador for you. Now, some of us are like, but where? Where can I be ambassador I'm going to show you a map. Ready? Where you live, work, and play. Where you live, work, and play. Where you live, work, and what? Play. So here's a map, and I'm going to challenge all of us to do this this week, and I'm included in this. Take a map like this. Draw this out. This center home is your home. Think about where you live. Can you go around and name every single neighbor that lives around you? I mean... I'll be honest, I can't, but I'm deeply challenged to. I know some of us are like, well, I live out in the country. Like, there's not a neighbor for a mile down the road. It's all right. Put their name here. Right? And I know some of you are like, but my neighborhood doesn't look perfect like that. Just adjust it per your neighborhood, okay? Just you'll work it. Don't get caught up in the, but can we name names of people who live around us? God, I truly believe God has us in places for a reason. You're my ambassador. You're my agent. Use it. How about where you work? You can put a cubicle, your office right there. Who's around you at work? Who's around you? Put your name. What about where you play? Maybe you're on a team at the Doyle Center. That's where you go. Um, who's on your team at the Doyle Center? Who's around you? What about this? What happens if, you know, I, where I play is like a, I, I work out with people. Great. Put their names. Who in your life has God put in your way to be his ambassador? So this is the art of neighboring. There you go. Do we all have this? Good. Two of us are going to put this into practice. 
All right, this is good. This is good. This is a challenge. This will challenge us. Because you know why? This will be the, uh, hold on, take that. So do this. Where we live, work, and play. Where we live, work, and play. You're his ambassador. Here's the second prayer. Break your heart for people in your life who don't know Jesus. Let's be honest. Do we even care? Do you? Do we care? See, what Jesus said is he said he saw the crowds and had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a pastor. Do we have that kind of passion for lost people? Do we have that kind of compassion to even get to know my neighbor? And if I'm honest, I don't think we do. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Please lean into this statement. You don't feel the weight of eternity for people because you don't know them. This is why evangelism has flipped. We'll care deeply about people we know. Ah, here's an illustration. This illustration was brought to our team on Thursday and I'm gonna use it. This is a neighborhood over there. If I say as a church, we are gonna go evangelizing, bring Jesus to those people, I bet you all of us will be like, yes! Because it's the right thing to do. But in reality, you know why you and I won't do it? Because we don't have a personal relationship with them. You know why you'll do it to where you live, work, and play? Because those are people you have a personal relationship with. That's why you'll do it. We don't feel the weight of eternity for people we don't even have relationship with. What's interesting, I got one more point, we'll close. What's interesting is um, there's a group of missionaries that did this study recently. They went to Thailand. Thailand is heavy in uh, Buddhism. And they decided to do a study. Which missionary method will see more people come to know Jesus Christ? This one group over here were known as the blessers, where they decided their method to reach the Buddhists in Thailand was to just be a blessing to people, to share meals with them, to learn about them, to serve them in any sort of capacity, just to be with the people. This method over here, they were known as the converters. Their sole message was we're going to the streets and preaching Jesus to everyone who will give us an ear. So they purposely did those two groups in two different methods to send to Thailand. You know what the results came back after their short time in Thailand? The blessers saw 48 people come to know Jesus Christ out of Buddhism. The converts saw one. It was because of the relational piece. Please hear me. We marry the message of Jesus Christ and his mission, but we date the method. Methods change to reach culture because culture is changing. So how can we step in to meet them where they're not at, but we never, ever change who Jesus Christ is. We stand on that. And so that's what those two did in Thailand. And the blessers saw more converts than the converters. So here's the last prayer. That the minds and hearts of those around you to see and know God. To see and know God. 
the first two prayer prompts. Open my heart, lead me, spirit. Prayer prompt number two. God, I just want, I break my heart for people around me. And then prayer number three. God, for those around you, may they see and know you. May they see and know you. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They're blinded. They're blinded. So what does it look like for us to step up and engage and just begin with prayer? We'll, we'll do the L and E next week and the SS next week. But what does it look like to meet people right where they're at? What does it look like to be that person that we were able to begin in prayer and plant a seed? Just to plant a seed in their heart. Just to be there for them. Because Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what, friends? The few, the primary problem is us. And if I'm honest, this is a difficult task. Because in it, you may get hurt. You may have people turn their back on you. You may get the door slammed in front of your face with friends and family members like, stop, I don't want this Jesus thing, stop. And you know why it's gonna hurt you? Because you deeply care for them. There's gonna be moments where God's gonna kind of call you out of your comfort zone a little bit. I shared the story of I wanna get to know my neighbor. And I pulled up in my driveway and he was out of his vehicle. And I heard the words, Ryan, go say hi. No. I'm good in my car right now. Ryan, just just say hi. No. And I waited till they went inside to get out. And I was wrong in that. And God's gonna call us to do acts of obedience that says it's not in your power, but my power. I'll give you everything you need. But there are lost people who are far from me that I desire to be in relationship to. So you all should have a ping pong ball, a white one. And this is what we're gonna do and we're gonna take a moment in this time right now. I'm gonna ask you this. Where you live, where you work, where you play. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's one person in your life? Where you live, where you work, where you play. That needs to know Jesus Christ. Who's your one? And that's what this ping pong ball is going to represent. The one in your life. And you may have like, Ryan, I can name five. That's great. But focus on one in this moment. Who's one? Maybe you're like, Ryan, ah, I don't even know. We're going to pray about it. And then what we've done is we've created this wall over here. It says, who's your one? 
It's cut up into three sections. That far left section over there is where we're gonna fill with people who we say, who's our one? That one person in our life that doesn't know Jesus Christ, that you can invest in, that you can use the bless method to begin a relationship with them. That's what the left side of the wall there is. The middle section there, there are, eventually you're gonna fill the middle section up, not today, with green ping pong balls. That, and there's buckets down there. We're gonna have buckets for forever until we change something. The green are gonna represent this. You're gonna come in some Sunday and you're gonna be excited because, hey, my one, I've had a spiritual conversation about Jesus Christ with them. And you're gonna go and write their name and drop a green ping pong ball in the middle. Why green? Because it represents, green's the color of growth. And we're gonna fill the middle section with green balls that we're having spiritual conversations with people. And then the far right side of that, we're gonna use blue ping pong balls to represent those that we've been praying for, the white balls, those that we are having spiritual conversations and now they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The progression. Why blue? Because blue is God's color. The priests, what color were their robes? Blue. He chose blue. And then what's cool is you're going to have that progression of we're praying for with the white. We're having spiritual Jesus conversations with the green. And they've come to know Jesus Christ with the blue, the right side. And then we're putting back the cross up there because everything changes with Jesus. Amen? And then one day they get to come and sign that wall now that they've been baptized and taking their next steps. Do you see the progression, friends? But today's the day for us to really seek God to say, God, who's our one? The team's gonna keep praying or keep playing and I want you to pray. There should be markers somewhere. As long as nine o'clock service, put them back. It's like maybe every other chair or the back has a permanent marker. Should. Maybe for some of you, you know who your one is right now and you can jot their name on this right now. And for others of you, it's like, okay, I need to seek Holy Spirit. Who's the one? Remember this. What this represents is not a project. What this represents is a person. People are not projects. They're people who are far from God, that God's heart breaks, and so should ours, that we are praying, Holy Spirit, come and may awaken them to your love. So take a moment, just close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. Ask the question, Holy Spirit, who's my one? And if you know it, write write their name. Seek the Lord in this moment. Who's my one? Who's someone in my life that's far from you? That's far from you. Just take a moment.
God, we're your ambassadors. You have divinely put us in places where we live, where we work, and where we play. And you've put people in our lives that may not know you, who are spiritually unresolved with you. Would you bring those names and maybe that one that has maybe a deeper relationship with to our minds right now? God, every name on a white ping pong ball is someone you deeply, deeply love. Jesus, it's a name that you died on the cross for. It's a name that is walking right now. It feels helpless and perhaps hopeless. But it's a person you deeply love. And you've called us to be that ambassador for you to this person. God, would you break our heart for this person? God, we know you're going to open doors. We pray for every ping pong ball, every white ping pong ball that has a name on it. God, we pray for their salvation. We pray that the scales would fall off their eyes, that they would see you and know you. We pray against the spirit of this age that may be blinding them in this moment as 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says. And would you bind that spirit and may the veil be lifted that their eyes are open to your love and who you are. God, move us, move our hearts to more of your mission. God, we can never call ourselves disciples of Jesus if we're not on mission with you. So move our hearts and we give these people over to you. And God, forgive us if we ever view them as projects. They are your creation. They are your people that you have divinely put in our lives for such a time as this. Father, make it so clear of who this one is. You're going to open up open doors for us to have holy boldness and spirit empowered to walk into, to have conversations, to bless them, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.